Bates down. Hey, how we doing? He's blank. I'm Bradham. It's Joe George behind the glass, and it is a Monday edition of the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. And it is a Monday edition of the Killer Bees after the Texans won a must-win football game. It was sort of a playoff eliminator. Would have been very difficult to make the playoffs had you lost this game. Now that you win this game... 71% chance, according to ESPN, that you could make the postseason. It, it feels surreal saying that, Blankers, like, in so many different fronts. Uh, it kind of feels like you're living in this days when it comes to the Houston Texans. And look, still plenty to do. You're 7-5. and five. That's not, like, you know, the best record in the AFC. But to, for the Texans to have seven wins through 12 games, whenever they've won 4-4-3, four, four, 11 games in the last three years, uh, whenever you've lived through... Lovey Smith, when you lived through David Culley, when you lived through a season and a half uh, of Davis Mills as your quarterback, no one, well, I shouldn't say no one, a lot of people didn't see seven wins coming. A lot of people didn't see the Houston Texans in the thick of the playoff race, very much in the playoff hunt, a favorite to be in the playoffs, according to some of these computer indexes. And C.J. Stroud, as a rookie, leads the NFL in passing. Yeah, you know what, Jeremy? It's, you know, we all can't be Patrick Creighton. But, but And we all don't have a crystal ball. But unless you were Patrick Creighton, to predict that this team was going to be this good. And look, I've said it. I, I was wrong. I, I thought they were going to win four or five games. The fact that they've already won seven games. And, and when you look at the driving force behind it, it's two guys. It's it's D'Amico and everything that he has instilled and brought and, and, and kind of put into place for this team. And it's unequivocally, you know, the, the, the leader of this team, C.J. Stroud. And, and the way that they have brought it all together... And how everybody is bought in and joined in, and you hear about the culture, and you, everybody has each other's backs, and you're you know next man up, and everybody that they've got on this roster seems to be better than they were a year ago. It's an unbelievable story to have to sit here and look at this team and go, they basically. Joe and I were talking about this Friday. They control their own destiny if they win this game, and this seemed like a game where the loser was going to probably miss the playoffs, and the winner uh, was going to be in a really good position, and that's what you saw. And I really think, and I'm sure we'll get into it, but I really think that they actually could have run away with this game. But they played good enough to get the W, to do what they needed to do to keep the train moving down the track. Yeah, and if, I mean, I was thinking about that as I was watching the game. I'm like, this doesn't feel real. Like, what we've lived through for the Houston Texans in the last three years, this doesn't feel like a real thing. It does kind of feel like a sports dream. It feels like an NFL dream. Because we were sitting here wearing our headphones in weird ways to mock David Culley. This time last year, we were breaking down mock drafts and who the Houston Texans. You were biting your tongue. Yep. And then, like, we fake, not we, a lot of people in the city fake celebrated the hiring of Lovey Smith because he was far better than David Culley, which he was far better than David Culley, but he was far worse than almost every other coach in the NFL. We had to live through 11 games on the hills of Bill O'Brien, be the worst general manager in NFL history, uh, the ghost of Jack Easterby, the ghost of Sil Hansas, a cool cat Cal McNair looked like an owner that was never going to be able to get out of his own way. Maybe thank you, Hannah McNair. Who knows how it all worked out? Uh, we were saying that Nick Casario should be fired. Like, this organization was at rock 
bottom. This organization was the laughing stock of the NFL. Sean Payton very likely leaked to his good buddy Colin Coward that the Houston Texans were the laughing stock of the NFL in a uh, dysfunctional organization whenever he met it on a Zoom. How does that taste, Sean Payton? That you lost to this dysfunctional organization if you did indeed leak that uh, to Colin Coward, which I totally believe that he did. So you've we've lived through all of that. All of that terrible stuff that you've had to live through, and now we're talking about maybe the newest, hippest, coolest team in the NFL with a head coach that's like you know really, really solid, and like the D'Amico effect is very real. He's a fan favorite. He's easy to root for. Good dude. Same thing with C.J. Stroud. Unbelievable story. Hot shot rookie quarterback that's putting together probably the greatest rookie season for a quarterback in NFL history. He literally leads the league in passing. Leads the league in passing. Like, not only do you have a franchise quarterback, like, whenever you drafted C.J. Stroud, I hope he becomes a franchise quarterback. He answered that, like, six weeks into the season. Now it's a C.J. Stroud, a top three quarterback. It's incredible. I don't believe it's real a lot of times. And I think the other thing, Jeremy, when you think about this, is why has it been so hard to say, is this real? I mean, is is this happening? Um, You know, and can you fathom where they are? Is because of all, it's like a tester, and you constantly are being tested. You were tested in your fandom by the way the ownership handled everything, by the way they, Deshaun and the, that whole situation went down. Then you went Jack Easterby, and you had Bill O'Brien, and then you had the melee of coaches that couldn't get wrong right, and all the things that you were highlighting. And we heard about people jumping off the man wagon. We heard about people thinking about and, and jumping on other teams and trying to root for other teams because they couldn't take it anymore, and you didn't know when you were going to jump on. So now... People are wondering, I want to jump on. I love where they're at. This is unbelievable, and I can't believe they're where they are. But it's almost re- it's realistic and understandable to have people that are still a little apprehensive going, I've been through so much BS. I've had to take so much stuff. It's hard to believe how quickly we are in a place where it feels safe again to join on, jump on the bandwagon and, and start backing yeah. this team again. Yeah, that kind of brings in another question, though, like jumping on the bandwagon. Like, is that okay? Like, is it okay to jump off the bandwagon? Like, as a fan, should you stay loyal? Like, that that's maybe a conversation for a different day. But do you think that they jump off the bandwagon in New York? Do you think they jump off the bandwagon in Philadelphia? They get ticked off. They get mad. They get angry. But they're always fans. Like, see, the, see, the jump-off thing to me is kind of, eh, I don't know. if I think it might be a little bushly. Here's, here's what I would respond to that. If it's football mistakes, if it's football mediocrity, if it's part of the cycle that we go through as fans of teams when you've been a long-standing fan of ups and downs, then you're right. They should stick with their team. But when a fan has to endure a majority of the stuff they've had to endure in terms of off the field and how they became a laughing stock with the way they mishandled everything. Off the field? I mean, off the field was the hiring of a, of, of a, of a preacher to be your, your eventually the guy basically running your football yeah, operations. Yeah, see, I think that's – like, I understand that's not in the on the gridiron and that's outside the lines. I still think that's football-related, though. Like, that's not a president of football operations that's, like, committing a crime outside the building. Like, that's still in the building. That's still football operation. But it's stupid. It's silly. You also know yourself that from a, a, a morals and ethics and just, you know, how you were raised and what you believe in standpoint, too, when Deshaun went and started – when it all came to light about what he had been doing and the things he was doing, it was easy for fans to jump off going, I want yeah. no part of that. I don't think they jumped off because of that though like I think they jumped off more because of Easterby and O'Brien because the organization was lousy I think more people jumped off for that than like oh Deshaun Watson's awful and mean because no. he had already demanded a trade and people were unhappy they, like people were pro Deshaun and anti-Texans but it was a combo until platter. the sexual predator stuff came out yeah so, but I, think I don't it, know I think it was a combo platter because you can you can say that you can say uh, you know Bill O'Brien making trades and do, doing whatever he wanted with basically no one to report to or seemingly no one to report to and just getting rid of your best player 
year and, and you know, collapsing. It started with the collapse in Kansas City. But you go Bill O'Brien, you go Jack Easterby, you go Deshaun, you go Cal, you go, you know, all the different ways that it seemed like they couldn't do wrong right. And, and they became such a laughing stock that a lot of people just said they couldn't take it anymore. Different people have a different boiling point, but it seems like when you had all those different angles to take in negativity, people had plenty of ammunition to say, I just can't stand it anymore. Yeah, see, this guy never gave up on the team, but we stopped buying merch and stopped going to games because it wasn't worth our money. I, I don't you, I don't believe that's the case for the majority of people. Like, I, I, There were so many people that I know of that were like, okay, I'm going to either stop watching the NFL, I'm going to choose a different team to root for and to follow. Like, the, And that's why I think that it's very difficult for people to – for you know, like there was a lot of conversation yesterday. There were so many Bronco fans there. It was two pro Bronco fans. Well, why? Because there was a little bit of lost loyalty, but with this organization. And like you can have the semantics of is it fair? Is it not fair? I don't know. Like the jumping back on the bandwagon thing's kind of like weird to me. Like you have your teams, you support those teams unless there's something crazy that goes on. It's like the same thing as pulling for a university. You might not like the direction the university's heading, you you might not like the the head coach, things like that. Well, okay, I understand you not going to the games, but you always are going to root for that team. You always hope that they eventually get back on track. I'm not really sure that Houston the Texans fans the ones that they lost were really thinking along that way. I think that they were gone and kind of gone forever. I think this goes back to just like the my, – my, from my view, like, and I'm definitely more of the outside view than you guys. I've only been here for like 10 years at this point. But I still view this fan base as it's still in its infancy. Like this is still a fan base that largely at one point was Oilers fans and they lost that team. And they've only been rooting for this team since 2002. It's like, a long time though. Yeah, I it think is. it's been a pretty long but time. But you know, they don't have, like the Texans don't have this like long history that like you can have your dad and your grandpa. Like for me, I'm sick of the Bears. And like when people come to me, like I talk to my family, like, yeah. well, it was good at 85. It's not generational. I, I was seven. I was negative seven the last time the Bears won <laughs> a Super Bowl. But you were a guy that jumped off this year. You yeah, said I mean, you were done like, with I'm it. I'm still on it. I mean, that was like, a bit. I mean, it's like, I know, but, but like, I'm just it's saying, just, use it as context. I think I don't that's know where you, <laughs> you, like, there's not that generational pull still. And like, I think that's why, like, you have so many fans, like, and it was all of this bad stuff happened. At once, yeah. and like of all, and think about like what we did for in this job for three years from 2019 until basically D'Amico Ryan's was hired. We talked about like cheating scandals, the disaster Texans, and like return to COVID protocols. And like the worst part of all of that was the embarrassment that were the Houston Texans for a lot of that. Like they were the absolute joke of the NFL. I don't get why people aren't back in though. Like it blows my mind. Slow moving ship. <laughs> Sports trust. fans are slow-moving slow. shit. I don't think it's a trust thing. I think like, a lot of people thought this is going to be the end of it, and then something else happened, and then something else happened, and then they started thinking, I've been on this train with this team, to your point, Joe, 20 years is still a long time. I've been with them forever. I've been through the ups and downs, but I thought we were already at rock bottom, and then something else happened. Yeah, but do you, do you trust D'Amico? Yes. I, didn't, do you, do I you, do now. That's what I'm saying. Like, right this second. Do you trust CJ? Yeah. Then I don't think it's a trust thing. I think it's more of a I think it was. slow. But, but we're talking about today. We're talking about yesterday's game and why there's so many Denver fans there and why they can't fill up the stadium. We're not talking about it weeks ago. We're talking about yesterday. But, I, but based on what you can tell at the start of the year, and, and I think I wasn't the only one that thought that they still had a year or so to go before they were going to win a, a lot more than four or five games. Those are the lower bowl is the predominant, predominantly season ticket holders. If season ticket holders get their season tickets, and a lot of them are corporate, so they're on the hook for multiple years, and they're going to keep buying them. But if they buy them, and then they can immediately sell them and make a profit, or they get rid of them, 
they don't care if they're selling them to Broncos fans, and it's theirs to do. I mean, I've been through this with the Rockets too, where they said they demanded when you should be in your seats and what you should do, and if you're and if you're not going to use them, you have to sell them to Rockets fans. That's not that that's not theirs to say. I mean, once you buy the tickets, they're yours to do whatever you're going to do with. And if someone that's a Denver fan that might be the only game they want to see, and they're willing to pay a little bit more to see them and you can cash in on them, it's hard for me to believe that you could convince a fan you can't sell it to a Denver fan. I think that's kind of a peripheral point, though. I think it's a little bit off the beaten path as of more. Like, I'm looking at it more from a where are the fans with the Houston Texans right now, like more of approval rating. And, like, you trust D'Amico, you trust Stroud, the approval rating seems high, but I don't know if it's necessarily reflecting, like, in the stadium. And, like, whatever like I don't care what the stadium looks like on Sunday I don't care the fan base the 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 buzz like I'm having a lot of fun watching this Houston Texans team I believe that CJ Stroud is a top three quarterback in the NFL I think D'Amico's a really good head coach Will Anderson just played the game of his career Derek Stingley Jr. just played the game of his career like I am having so much fun watching the Houston Texans and part of it's because they set such a low bar the last three years because they were so bad the last three years my enjoyment of watching the Texans feels like it's close to an all-time high it's because there's a quarterback I can believe in. I never believed in Bill O'Brien. I, I, I feel like I can believe a little bit in D'Amico, even though I have some criticisms of D'Amico Ryans. I think Nick Casario, like he's had some hiccups. I think he's solid. I love the direction of this organization. I'm having a great time watching the Texans, and because I'm saying those words, it feels fake to me because I know what we've lived through the last three years. It does feel surreal that the Houston Texans in the rookie season of C.J. Stroud in the first year of D'Amico Ryans are literally in the playoff race. And C.J. Stroud literally leads the NFL in passing. It's nuts. 713-780-3776, the HRMP listener line. We're on the Twitch, twitch.tv slash ESPN 97.5. He's at Pac-Man Joel. He's at Joe George Radio. I'm at Jeremy Branham. Uh, I believe Mondays. Lots to get into uh, for I Believe Mondays. What do you believe after this weekend in college football? A lot. A lot of hot takes, I'm sure. Mailbag Monday at 4.30. We'll hand out game balls. We'll grade C.J. Stroud as well. But coming up next, what I saw yesterday from the Texans is what I expect from a D'Amico Ryan defense. 713-780-3776. It's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. And what you should expect if you ever get into a car wreck, look, it's inevitable. It's going to happen to, we have millions of listeners that tune into the Killer Bees, and some of you are going to get into a car wreck someday. We're trying to help you out. And you should be calling Hollingsworth Law Firm if you ever get into this car accident. One of my favorite things, in fact, it is my favorite thing about Hollingsworth Law Firm, is they do not allow their customers to pay until you you win your case. And that's a big thing, Jeremy, because you never know when you're going to get into a car wreck. But when you do, the first thing you start do- doing is immediately you go into panic mode of who do I call? What do I have to do? I need to make sure my butt's covered and everything's taken care of so that I get what I deserve out of this. And I don't want to be charged for every phone call and every consultation and every time I talk to an attorney that I want to be on my side, but I'm never really fully trusting because I don't know if their true heart is in it like mine is to get what I deserve. With Hollingsworth, you don't have to worry about that. They don't get paid unless they win. So the motivation is already there. So from square one, they're going to be in your corner. They're going to fight that insurance company. They're going to fight that other driver and they're going to fight for what's rightfully yours. Call now for a free consultation. Let Hollingsworth Law Firm fight these pesky insurance insurance companies 713-999-8773 713-999-8773 or visit them online carwrecktexas.com it's carwrecktexas.com he's blank i'm branham we are the killer bees 713-780-espn hrp listener line 
Uh, 713-780-3776. Uh, Brandon T. I can only imagine what Stroud's contract will look like when he gets paid. He's going to be one of the, uh, the highest-paid quarterbacks at that time. Yeah, I mean, he's probably going to reset the market. He's the best rookie now. I would imagine that when he signs his contract, he's going to be the highest-paid quarterback of all time. Like, that's a fact. That's, that sounds crazy to say that. And it'll it, probably be like 70 million at that time by the time it comes up yeah. because With they're talking about well they're talking about the salary cap bumping somewhere between 40 to 70 million dollars in cap space because of all the gambling money over the next like four years it's like right as stroud is going to peak it is going to boom yeah. in a big way i think the other thing is the misconception that the highest paid player in the game means you're the best player in the game and it's not always that it's when your contract comes up there was a year when matt stafford was the highest paid player in all of pro football and the highest paid player ever because his contract came up at a time playing the position of quarterback when he hit it on the market. And CJ's going to hit the market. And regardless, I, I'm sure the Texans will wrap him up before he hits the open market. But he's going to be the highest paid player in the game when he signs his contract. Yeah, it, it sounds crazy to say that 12 games into CJ Stroud's career, 12 games into his rookie season, that we're talking about Stroud's contract in four or five seasons. And yeah, it's going to be the highest paid of anybody in the NFL. Hopefully he is the best quarterback uh, in the NFL when it comes down to that time. He's already on the uh, the short list, in my opinion. Uh, 3227, I love the Texans. Watch all the games. I don't go to the games because I don't want to spend my entire day at the stadium. Facts. That's a great call, 3227. I hate giving away my entire Sunday. If I'm being completely honest, now do you think agree. that that is just a that's just an inevitable no matter what, or is that because of the fact that from the parking situation and that they don't have a paid lot and that you know getting in it, yeah, getting out of it up is yeah. a hassle, and so that's part of because I think in other stadiums, I you know growing up in the Midwest, I loved going to games. It wasn't that long, yeah, and like and honestly, just it's also like it's a miserable experience getting in and out, but also it's just. We all know football is better at home. You miss all the other games too. Like we have red zone, fantasy, gambling, red zone, all that stuff. Well, you You went. You were talking about you going with your dad. It was fun. Now I like that the Texans on the jumbotron now put like fantasy leaders throughout the day. That's creative. Once gambling's legalized, I think we'll see gambling lines up there as well. But it's still not the same. Like I almost need red zone in my seats. That'd be great. <laughs> like what a great idea! If you can put like little TVs on the chairs with red zone, and then you have the no, Texans you know, in that front of you. So cool! But we talked the about this before. Greatest thing I would ever see. That's how you really enhance stadium viewing. I think. But you know, like section by section, mm-hmm. they have the TVs. Oh yeah, kind of midway through or a couple times. You know, on the facade up atop, put a couple of TVs in each section. Under the roof, the the roofing, the facade, and then you can always look up and see other ga- the red zone, and you can see other games that are, that are going on. I want on the back of the seat in front of me. Well, that, that's that's yeah, so much better. That'd be a hell of a budget <laughs> budgetary so ad, but that would be great. Yeah, I don't care. Like, it's their money. Let's put like the newest iPhone. The screen's big enough. Yeah. Just put an iPhone just like connected to the I mean, chair. Every single car that is made these days have a screen on it. Yeah. Every every NFL stadium seat these days should have a screen on the back of but it. But you know what? Think about that. For for all the especially for all the lower levels and the VIP seats in the last 10, 10 15 years, yeah. what do arenas do? They, they make them, they want to feel them like recliners. They want to, you know, they're leather this and padded that and you get weighted on hand and foot here and there. A lot of times people rather than all that stuff would just like to have a mini screen in front of them so they could watch. Yeah. And if the game sucks, you can go watch something else. I know. And imagine if sports gambling was legalized and I could just like tap my card yeah. and bet on a sports Whoa, book man. on another game. We're changing Ooh. the game right now. With the We're killer making bees. money. We are changing the game. Like all those reasons that you said, like the leather seats, the screens, and then like Joe's innovative ideas. What is the common denominator here? Fan it has, experience. It has nothing to do with the and fans. And make the fan, fan happy. Experience. 
But if you it's make the fan experience. happy, they're going to want to come back. But if it's a hassle, what, Joe, I, I, re- I referenced this at first because you said, didn't you say you and your dad showed up like at 10 and got into the stadium at noon? Yeah, we got there like 1030 right off Kirby and and my dad like splurged on parking and we still miss kickoff. That's brutal. Like it's just it's not a good experience for that stadium, frankly. That's like, just, just not supposed to happen. But that, you, I don't know. My whole thing is like, also like, I just don't think it's that big of a deal. Also, like, I know people like want to talk about like the empty seats. It doesn't to me. It doesn't really matter. Like, it is loud there. Could it be louder? Sure. But like, you're gonna sell seats. Like, the, and the thing is about, it's not just a Texans problem. Like, that's where I feel like people are focusing too much on this. Like, think about what we just talked about three months ago, two months ago that the Astros fans are not loud enough in the playoffs. Like, but guys, the reality this. is, like, this is who you people are. That's what I was going to say. We do this in Houston sports with all three teams because we, at a certain point, it comes up every year about Rockets fans, their late arrivals, their early departures, their lack of, you know, being as loud as they could be or supportive on big games. It's just kind of, and people say, well, it's traffic. Well, it's parking. Well, it's, it's the fact that, you know, they've got kids in school and got to get them home. It's just something that we always are talking about with any one of the big three teams. So, I don't, it's not going away. 713-780-ESPN. Let's go out to the HRMP listener line. Lamont, you're in the hive of the bees. What's up, Lamont? Hey, man. Uh, I'm say it's a couple of things for me because I don't attend games anymore. Uh, uh, the Texans games, uh, it's, it's crime. It's construction. It's the, the hassle of getting out of that uh, uh, stadium. Uh, I, live on a, I, I live in the boonies, man. Uh, uh, I live way like here in Meadville. And it's it, it's way out of my way to uh, uh, come to Houston to spend three or four five hundred dollars uh, uh, on a Sunday. And here's the the biggest factor: COVID changed everything for me. Uh, for the simple, and I'm pretty sure this is going to be the case for uh, a couple other people. Uh, during COVID, uh, I went and upgraded the home, um, got a media room, got a huge TV, a uh, 105 inch TV. Uh, it's better at home uh, watching the games. Uh, Watching one game on uh, uh, on the antenna, which is the Texans, because the feed is better, and then I get to watch all the rest of the games uh, on, on a big screen TV. So I think the, uh, technology is a, a huge factor that probably uh, uh, took a lot of people away from that uh, stadium. And, and not to mention, man, you, you know, money is kind of funny right now uh, across the board uh, uh, in America, man. And that's that's why I can say about me, man. Uh, why I'm not really going to games anymore and don't have any uh, intentions on going back. And that's all I have. Appreciate it, Lamont. Lamont's a Texan fan. There's no Not doubt all he's that. got. He's got a 105. Like, can, we watch a su- TV can we watch the Super Bowl at Lamont's house? Good yeah. Lord, that's big. What, uh, and Lamont can cook, too. He can put stuff on the grill. Lamont, if you want to host a little uh, Super Bowl party or ESPN uh, Super Bowl party, uh, we'll take you up on that offer. Uh, 6927, it's not traffic, construction, kids in school, etc. It's the sports culture here in Houston. Well, there's a lot of they, they don't want to hear that. You know, let me ask you something, Joe. You went to the Jacksonville game. That was the game that Tank had the, the sideline toe tap yeah, that, yeah. that wasn't allowed. Did they show that replay in multiple angles on the scoreboard? Because yes. to Lamont's point, that would be one thing I was concerned about. We always talk about the camera angles or watching the other games. That's one thing I'd be concerned about if I want to know what really happened. They did, but something like weird was happening, like with the footage, like it, like as they would zoom in on Tank, it would get less like. It wasn't like pixelated, but it was this weird blurry where I couldn't see anything of what was going on. It might on. be that the scoreboard resolution wasn't a- able to pick up what they yeah. were trying to do with the replay. Yeah, you definitely miss a lot of that stuff. I mean, Se- it's fine. Seven one three seven eight zero three seven seven six. Back out to the HRMP listener line. Vera, you're in the hive of the bees. What's up? Hey, guys. I appreciate you letting me call in. Uh, 
just a couple of reflections. Uh, I, I mean, I was watching the CBS broadcast, and I can't believe how ridiculously biased they are against Houston teams. I saw that when you we were playing the Cardinals, and I thought, okay, maybe they're just supporting the underdog or whatever. And even when they were, you know, when they were when you we were playing the Broncos, it's almost like you we were watching the local Denver broadcast or something. Um, the other thing also is this is also a slap in the face for this coach who thought he was too good for the Texans and who was basically bad-mouthing the Texans and the organization um, through his friend Colin Cowherd. So, look, every organization goes through, gets through his bumps and bruises, and once they find a good coach and a coach-GM combination, they, they, find a, they find something that they settle down with and, you know, they, they find their way around. So this is a great slap in the face for uh, Sean Payton, um, and that's all I wanted to say. I'll just hang up and listen. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it, Mira. Thanks for the call, man. Look, you know, it, it, there's a variety of different ways. I was look. I'll be the first. Time. I, I used to. You guys know I'm not a fan of Joe Buck, and I wasn't a fo- fan of Joe Buck. And I felt like Vera felt like for a long time with the Packers because he he seemed to be anti-Packers. But you know, I think you're the kind of voice of reason for me in a lot of those situations where you're like, look, you know what? He's he he's not doing it to to be anti anything. He's just doing his. He's delivering the game, trying to be as middle of the road as possible. Some guys can do it. Some guys can't. It's more noticeable when it's the analyst because if you've got guys that played for the teams or you know went to the schools, that it can be a little fuzzy because they. They're not even hiding it now. You're looking at some of the studio shows from some of the college games this weekend, and Mark Ingram is over the top for Bama, and everybody's rooting for their schools. But when it comes to the play-by-play, it's tough. Every fan, I think, feels that way about certain broadcasters when they're watching national. Yeah, I I love the hate on Vera, uh, or the hate on Sean Payton, Vera. Uh, That's a good, I like that hot take there. I like that uh, little mic drop moment. As far as the announcers, 95% of broadcasters that are calling a neutral game do not care who wins. It's the same thing as referees. Referees don't care who wins. 95% of broadcasters, 99.9% of referees, unless they're betting on the game, they do not care who wins. In fact, you know what they're rooting for? They're rooting for the game to end so they can go home. That's what they care about. They care about collecting the check that they're working, the game that they're working. So these announcers, like they want to do a good job, obviously. They're professionals, but they're not one-sided. Same thing with officials. And you might get a bad whistle because it's just the way the game goes. They're not rooting for anybody. They're rooting for a fast game so they can get home. Uh, so I, like the, the referee stuff, Like I know a lot of people like to complain about refs. We will when it's warranted, whenever it's a storyline. We'll probably talk about a specific call later. Um, but when it comes to the announcers, like Ian Eagle is one of the very best in the business. Charles Robinson is fantastic at what he does. They do not care who wins. I think the biggest thing with analysts is if they're recently removed from the game or they have relationships, they're going to tiptoe the line a little bit, and that's where they have some feelings. I think whenever they're in the studio. I don't think when they're in the booth. In fact, J.J. Watt had like a cameo color appearance, and he he ticked off Houston Texans fans because they felt he was too pro the other team. I think it was the Steelers. Well, but and then from the standpoint of the officials, whether Vera brought up the Jacksonville game or whatever game we were talking about, those guys were the first guys to point out there's been a lot of really, really questionable calls, and it seems like most of them are going against the Texans. So you can't just you can't say your your ears are going to hear what you want to hear yes. in terms of team and bias. But I, I don't think the announcers are intentionally trying to be biased versus a certain team. No, they're not rooting for Denver. Uh, 713-780-ES, especially that good of a crew. Like, that's their that's their second best crew. That's their B crew. Well, Ian Eagle's fantastic. And whenever you feel that way, Vera, just go on Twitter. 
type in Texans, and then type in the name of the broadcaster, and very quickly you're going to find, uh, from a Broncos fan here, yeah. uh, Ryan, Ian Eagle should announce himself <laughs> as a Texans fan. These announcers do all they can to make Houston sound so much better than they are. Get the Texans blank, Ian Eagle, and Charles. Mm-hmm. Like, They're doing go- their job. It, it always goes both ways. They're yep. rooting for their. They're doing their job, and they're rooting for the clock to tick down to zero so they can fly home. Seven one three seven eight zero ESPN, the HRP listener line. Let's get to this. Uh, this Texans defense. I, I believe that what we saw yesterday was the D'Amico defense that we've all been waiting for. Seven one three seven eight zero three seven seven six. It's the Killer Bees on ESPN ninety seven five and ESPN ninety two five. You know what your kids have been waiting for this holiday season? A goal from Pro Dunk Hoops. It's the best holiday gift you can give. Uh, they make the highest quality basketball goals you'll find tempered glass backboard breakaway rim stainless steel hardware it's height adjustable too uh, so for everybody you know from kids to grown-ups five feet to ten feet it's, it's outstanding and it makes the perfect christmas gift this holiday season especially if you have a little one that likes to play uh, you might have a kid that plays high school ball aau middle school whatever maybe they're just getting into the game you can lower it down to five feet for them a goal from pro dunk is the perfect gift this holiday season their accessories are next level as well led light kits for night play gets dark earlier you work kids are in school only time you have to play is in the evening get an led light kit you have no excuse uh, backstop nets as well so you don't have to chase the basketball all around also their latest goal four four is awesome it's got a cool name but also you can raise and lower the goal anywhere from five feet to ten feet like we said with a drill it takes five seconds how easy is that it makes it idiot proof for guys like me you can order everything too including professional installation online yeah the pros at pro dunk will do the work for you uh, if you're not good with a level, you don't have a ladder, you don't have to because the pros at ProDunk will professionally install the goal at perfect height, perfectly straight. You don't lift a finger. You don't worry about a thing. Let the pros do all of the work. Uh, give them a call right now, 281-351-9822, and visit ProDunk.com. That's ProDunk.com. Get over here! ESPN. He's blank. I'm Branham. 713-780-3776. Um, this D'Amico defense yesterday, this is... This is what I've been waiting for. And look, Denver's not, you know, this juggernaut offensively. Although their their offensive numbers are pretty good. Uh, they don't run tons of plays, things like that. So they have a tough time, like, racking up tons of volume. But you look at DVOA, they're a much better offensive team than they are defensive team. Uh, the Texans yesterday, they held Denver to under 300 yards. Phenomenal. They held Denver to under 20 points. Really good. You look at the running game, yeah, they gave up 118 yards, but 44 of those were to Russell Wilson, like on scrambles. Javante Williams only had 46, three and a half yards of carry. Jalil McLaughlin had 15 yards and only had four carries. Like, that's under four yards of carry. I thought the rush uh, defense was actually pretty good. You look at how many times they got to Russ. They sacked him three times, they had multiple pressures, and they intercepted three passes off of Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson came into yesterday's game having thrown four interceptions the entire year. He threw three interceptions yesterday. This is the D'Amico Ryan's defense I've been waiting for, Blankers. This is, to be honest with you, this is the defense that everybody has dreamed of when they started using high draft picks on defensive players that were supposed to be high-impact uh, players like Stingley and like Will Anderson. Uh, and then you add into what Grenard has become and, and, and how disruptive he can be and you see some of the young pieces falling into place, and you say, hey, when you've got a defensive-minded head coach and he has these kind of uh, uh, tools to play with uh, in terms of the things that he can do and things he can drop, all you needed was them to be healthy and some of the young guys to kind of mature and feel comfortable at this next level. 
And I think you started to see it come to fruition yesterday in the fact that you had your young players making plays. You had Grenard still doing the same type of things. You had the guys that you went out and got in the defensive front seven and in the front line, you know, doing the kind of things they're supposed to do, plug up the, the, the gaps so that there's not the ability to get gashed by the run. And you saw productivity across the board with continuity. And because so many guys have been in and out, it's been kind of tough for them to do that. But it was fun to watch them play defense yesterday. 713-780-ESPN. Let's go out to the HRMP listener line. Cameron, you're in the hive with the bees. What's going on, Cameron? Hey, first I'm going to start off by saying I'm a huge Falcons fan. But the Texas, I remember y'all months ago, y'all were saying that Stroud might be throwing this many touchdowns, this many interceptions. And he's way, way, way past where y'all want him to be. And if that don't get you out to watch football, you're not a fan. I'm going to say I can listen to y'all talk about it. Appreciate it, Cam. Yeah. Uh, look, I, I think that – I don't think in any of the three of us' wildest dreams, you could have drawn up a scenario – Whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't speak for me. Okay, my bad. But I also wouldn't have dreamed that. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> when you start thinking about it, from the standpoint of the three of us, try to be as realistic as possible – you said it at the start of the show. I mean, we're witnessing the the greatest single season for a rookie starting quarterback in the history of this league. That's a long time. That's a lot of players. No one could have drawn up a scenario where you were going to be like, yeah, that's possible. Yeah, they're going to have seven wins. He's going to lead the league in, in passing yardage. He's going to only have a handful of interceptions. And he's going to have everybody talking about him and this team. We were trying. We're always trying to be as honest as possible and realistic. I don't think that was realistic. The fact that we're watching it unfold before our eyes every single week and it seems to get better is just—it's true amazement. Well, I mean, he's he's having quite possibly the greatest rookie quarterback season of all time. Like it's it's unheard of. It's it's surreal. It feels fake. It doesn't feel like it's actually happening. So like whenever you say these like the well y'all didn't think like, and Cameron wasn't being critical, but like I don't know if anybody could have rightfully predicted that CJ Stroud was going to have the greatest rookie quarterback season potentially of all time. Yeah, because even like when like I, I said seven wins, right? But it was not about this point in the season. Right, it was damn. about playing Will Levis twice in the last four games, that Deshaun Watson's not good. Like, it was a, a total picture through, through 18, 17 games, whatever it is now, that, like, you were going to find a way to scratch and claw and get to seven. It wasn't be at seven wins and have a real clear shot to the playoffs. Those are different conversations. Yeah, no Much doubt different. about it. And, and, and when you think about the big picture and where this team has gotten, I mean, I'm talking to my, one of my best friends back home. He's in Wisconsin. He's in Milwaukee. And he's talking about how fun and entertaining this team is and what a story that your head coach and your quarterback are. And that's, you know, he being a Big Ten guy, even in the Big Ten, he didn't see C.J. Stroud doing this on the next level. And he's like, I'm so interested when I'm not watching Green Bay. He goes, I want to see what the, you guys are doing because he, he's like, that's that's fun, man. He goes, as a fan, that's got to be awesome to watch this, you know, unfold week to week. I was like, it's it was unpredictable, to, and no one could have seen it coming. But man, every single week, it's it's you, you can't you it's must see TV. Seven one three seven eight zero ESPN. Let's go back out to the HRMP listener line. Eric, you're in the hive with the bees. What's up, Eric? Yes, sir. How you doing today? Awesome. Well, listen, I got a question for you. Okay. Well, the question is, why in the state of Texas doesn't the state of Texas teams? 
get to be on TV all the time like they used to be when I was a kid. If Texas A or Texas A and M, either one, or Baylor or Texas Tech was on, they were on TV, local TV. Yeah. Now we're watching all these teams from around the country, way out of Big Ten, Big Pac-12, whatever. I mean, I love football. I'm a football guy, yeah. and I love to watch the competitive games. I love college uh, college football above all. But I want to know that one thing. And then, number two, big teeth, hook-em longhorns are in the playoffs, and they can cry all they want, but we're, we're in, and that's where we live. It's been a while. Took three Rack years. Eric. Rack them. Rack them. Eric, I like, I like our show today. We got Vera talking smack about Sean Payton. We got Eric talking smack about the rest of the college football world that's not Texas Longhorns. We need to have like a, a smack off with the way things are going. Now, Eric, you built up the question and it was lousy. It was a terrible question. You built it up. I got a question for you guys. Here's the question. Why aren't Texas teams on, on TV? Eric, every single football game, like higher than a NAIA level, is on a television screen. Do you have to search for it a little bit? Yeah, some might be on Fox Sports. You might have to go the digital route, which is difficult for some of you boomers. Uh, you might have to go to ESPN three. You might have to like figure out how to get CBS on a Sunday because Directv no longer carries CBS. What is that? But every game can be found on a television screen these days, Eric. I watched you guys almost every single game this year. I, I could find every Cougs game. Go Cougs. I watched every Big Ten. I watched every Badger game, whether Big Ten Network, like you said, you had to search for it a little bit, but Big Ten Network or, you know, finding them on one of the national channels. But you're right. I mean, from a college football perspective, you can find any game and basically even it's the same thing for basketball, too. You can pretty much find any game on almost any given night. You just might have to do a little work to figure it out, but you can get them. I thought he was talking about, because I, when I saw it on the board, I thought he was talking about the Texans game. I'm like, well, ironically, he's bringing this up when the Texans game was seen by 80% of the country. Yeah, but if you had DirecTV or DirecTV Stream, Ooh, you do not have CBS. So what did you do? Uh, we got um, uh, what's from Paramount Plus. Good call. I went FUBU. Uh, I canceled it this morning. We <laughs> were going to get one-week okay, free trial. But here's the problem, and they get you with this. Paramount Plus had the free preview, but in order to get the Texans game, you had to have the Paramount Plus Plus Showtime. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh? But it was free cancellation? Uh, or did you have to like? But we can't because you don't know when the it's going to be rectified for CBS with the yeah. Texans. See, I went Fubu. Plus, I wanted to watch day. the uh, SEC championship game. Yeah, fair enough. I went. I went Fubu seven day trial. Deleted it this morning, so I don't get billed. And if I can't watch it next Sunday, I probably will go with the YouTube free trial mm-hmm. and i hope they have it figured out in two weeks if they don't have it figured out in two weeks i'm gonna have to start using like my wife's password or something. three years ago it took oh, three weeks Jeremy, email how many you i know for a fact you have two emails i uh i do yeah so just create multiple use it multiple emails well there you go never pay again so i have like five different options i yeah. can use here i will say i use just i just have youtube tv i think it is the best one in terms of like the delay does it have of well, the game. does it have the shin i don't know no, it, it does not. It doesn't have yeah, that's the big. shin. No, it that's doesn't have big. the Space no. City so I have, Network. I have to illegally stream Rockets. Yeah, games. see, I have to have the shin. Because I watch Astros Rockets. I watch probably 75% of them off DVR. Well, that's right, yeah. So if I don't have the DVR function with the shin, then what am I going to do? What are you giggling about over there, Joe George? Uh, Michael Connors wanted to make sure I told you guys that it's, it's Fubo, not Fubu. <laughs> Fubu is a clothing brand. That's yeah, right. I mean, that's for a, you, by you. No, no, no. Michael <laughs> no, Connor. That's just, also not what it stands for. Michael Connor just doesn't it? understand it's my drip. For us, by to us. be honest, whatever. He just doesn't understand my drip. 
He doesn't understand my vibe, my fit, what I can pull off. Now, you know the last what time... What did I say? It's FUBU and it's FOBU or what? FUBO. FUBO? FUBO. Yeah. Who cares? I actually thought Jeremy was right. I thought it was FUBU as well. Is it not FUBU? 713-780-ESPN. Is it FUBU or FOBU? The last time Tegna <laughs> got into this with DirecTV, it took... Over three Whoa. weeks. Did it really? Yeah, almost a month. No, they need to get. Uh, Thanga needs to figure it out because uh, Thanga needs to figure it out, and YouTube needs to get the uh, the shin on its uh, package. And Fubu, Fobu needs to it's change their name. Very good. <laughs> Clarify. Needs to change its name too. All right, seven one three seven eight zero three seven seven six. I, I got to be honest with you here a little bit. I, I'm torn on how to feel about Tank Dell's usage on the play where he broke his fibula. It's going to cost him to miss the entire season, the rest of the way, which isn't very, which isn't great, right? It's not a very good thing that Tank Dell uh, is going to be out the rest of the year, especially for them offensively. Also, did the Texans abuse Tank Dell this season? 713-780-3776. It's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. Before we go to the break, tell you about my good friend Doc Linville. Look, it's the holidays. You're looking to get that significant other a gift. Well, how about a gift that keeps on giving? Doc Linville, best in the business at doing Botox, plastic surgery, all different kinds of ways that you can give a gift that actually gives you residual benefits as you go forward. But the main thing that he really does that I think he's the greatest at, which is because of personal experience, is the Neograph procedure. It's getting your own hair back. And a long time ago, Doc wanted to meet with me. He wanted to explain the Neograph to me. And he wanted to explain the fact that genetically, you're never going to lose the hair on the sides and the back of your head, no matter where you lose hair on the top, in the front. And I did not know that. And he said, so essentially, if the hair is never going to go away, I take some of that and I put it where you need it most. I repurpose it, if you will. And the next thing you know, it's your own hair. It's getting stronger and longer, and it's going to be with you for the long haul because I'm taking it from a place where it never goes away. And you get more hair, and you get more coverage, and you get more self-confidence. And that's why I was all in on doing the absolute the procedure, the neograft. The fact of the matter is that same consultation like I had with Doc, you get for the same price I played for it, paid for it, which is free because you're a listener to ESPN 97.5. All you got to go to do is go to 975hair.com. And, and sign up for a first appointment consultation. Nothing out of pocket, no signing on the dotted line, no commitment. Just you asking questions, them giving you answers, and you seeing if it might be right for you, too. It's an unbelievable game changer, if you ask me. Because in six to nine months, you were going to see the full results. But overnight, when you wake up and look in the mirror the next day after the procedure, you're going to see the follicles. You're going to know they're there. They ain't going anywhere either, because here's the, the big kicker. 95 to 99% of these follicles that are repurposed, they're going to stay and be with you forever. That's why I did the procedure. I think you should do it, too. Just investigate it. See if it's right for you. Go to 975hair.com. You call me the uh, the professor. I'm just kidding. No one's ever called me that. It's the season of giving. Air Team Heating and Cooling and ESPN 97.5 have teamed up for a holiday drive to benefiting Depelchin Children's Center. Now through Friday, drop off donations at Air Team to support our Houston youth in foster care. Our station will be broadcasting live all day on Friday, so stop by to say hello with your favorite uh, with your favorite host and also your donation. Uh, most needed items and donation info at AirTeamLTD.com. So head to AirTeamLTD.com. It'll let you know most needed items donation info as well. It's the Holiday Drive benefiting DePelchin Children's Center brought to you by Air Team, your H-Town heating and cooling team. All right. I am uh, I'm torn how I feel about this, but I am going to ask the question 
Uh, obviously, I'm heartbroken for Tank. That stinks. Uh, the fibula injury, uh, I've broken my fibula. Mm. Like It's kind of why I had an idea of when Charlie Morton broke his fibula on the, liner that, you know, the line drive in the World Series back in the day, the way that it came down, like the, the fibula's on the outside part of the leg. Uh, I had an idea that it was uh, the Tank Dell injury. And it's a non-weight-bearing bone, which is good news for like the future of Tank Dell. Now, it's going to cost him the season, uh, which is awful. And apparently, he had the surgery, too. It wasn't a hairline fracture, like... One of them. If he's having surgery, it's probably a compound fracture. Like There's probably some screws to put it back as one piece instead of two pieces. Uh, so I'm torn on how I feel about it, though. And I'll ask the question, did the Texans abuse Tank Dell, 713-780-3776? On one hand, it's like, eh, do you really want a little bitty wide receiver who's probably one of the littlest, bittiest wide receivers that has ever played the game, blocking in the box, being used in the running game, catching lots of passes, being used in kick return? On the other hand... Like, it's football. Yeah. Tank is, like, he's tough. Like, he wants to be active. I hated it the other day when Bobby Slowick said that he, you know, he thinks he's Nico Collins because it's like, it's great to think that, but at the same time, you got to be realistic with, with who you are. So, did the Texans abuse Tank Dell this year? 713-780-3776. Well, uh, credit to you because you brought up the same thing that we had discussed during baseball season with the, the magnitude of the impact of a Jordan Alvarez and the fact that you had to protect him with bubble wrap because you couldn't afford to lose him. And you brought it up, uh, what, a week or two ago about doing the same thing with Tank. And it legitimately was something we all agreed upon that you need to start thinking about doing. And I don't think that they abused him per se because they really did slowly get him involved in the offense. If you remember the Baltimore game, if you remember early in the season, we didn't see him as much as we wanted to. But then once we saw a, a steady dose of what he could do, man, you just wanted to see him everywhere, every place. I don't have a problem with where they were using him. I said to you guys, I wasn't jazzed about him returning punts because of the fact that I was concerned about a guy taking a cheap shot or, you know, in a real quick timing, not fair catch situation. But it is football. But where I do have a problem is what happened yesterday because I just think you have other receivers and other ways if you're truly just trying to get one yard in a play like that. The last thing I want to do is put him at that size, no matter how tough he thinks and wants to be, in harm's way. I just, I didn't want to see a situation like that. I thought it was kind of BS. I thought it was a cheap, I thought it was kind of cheap on the D lineman's part when I saw some of the pictures and, and, and went back and looked at kind of the way he was leaning on the leg. But I understand again, it's football. Guys don't all think about like protecting their brother regardless of uniform. But I, the, the big thing I had a problem with was a play like that. I don't mind him in motion. I don't mind him giving the ball on the, the jet sweep. I don't mind, you know, making your impact player get the ball as much as possible to make an impact. But in that situation, he wasn't going to make an impact, and I wouldn't have put a little guy like that size in a, in a position to get in, yeah. the, in, the, in the traffic. Like, I, and I hate being torn on things, and I hate being on the fence, because I think it's soft and, like, have a stance, stand on it, et cetera, et cetera, even if you get ridiculed, blah, 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 blah. Like, it's football, and you have to use your receivers in the run game, especially Bobby Slowick's system, especially the Kyle Shanahan system. They believe in receivers blocking. Now, on the other hand, Tank Dell's not Debo Samuel. Like, they, they Debo, Debo Samuel's used in the run game, Debo Samuel's used in the blocking game, et cetera, et cetera. Tank Dell's 5'8", 150 pounds soaking wet. Yep. So are there things you can do to protect Tank Dell? Like, he two weeks ago, he's playing every single snap, which, like, he's great. He's a really good football player. You need him out on the football field. Are there ways to be creative in which 
which you're lightening the load on a little bitty guy that's also missed a couple games with a, or at least one yeah. with a concussion, game and a half with a concussion. So like you've used Tank Dell in a variety of different ways. Like obviously he's a receiver, you're going to use him in the passing game. You've used him quite a bit in the running game. Now into round stuff, he can get out of bounds, like et cetera, et cetera. So I can understand like he can protect his body that way. You've used him in the kick game, both as a kick returner and a punt returner. So there's some toll taken there. You know, kick return not so much. They usually kick it out of the back of the end zone. Punt return, you can fair catch things like that. Now, should he be used in the way he was used yesterday? I saw a lot of people on Twitter that were kind of questioning should Tank Dell be used in the block, uh, in the box rather, whenever you're running a halfback dive up the middle. And I think that's probably where the biggest criticism lies. Like, hey, receiving game, you're going to use him in the passing game. Running game, he can get out of bounds. Return game, he's electric. Are there ways that you can get creative on using Tank Dell where he's not involved in? blocking plays in the middle of a box where he's going to be around other big bodies that makes him prone to getting rolled up on and, you know, breaking his fibula. Yeah, look, it's not exactly the same. It's not apples to apples completely, but it's like we know Dalton Schultz can catch the football, but Dalton Schultz ain't great at blocking. So there were other guys, there's other guys that you can go to when you need someone to block or you need someone on a run play that's going to be really a more physical in the trenches type of play. And that's the way I look at a situation like this. Like, if you want to run that same uh, same kind of play, but you want to have that kind of play action where you have him in motion so that the they can't overcommit to just the one-yard run up the middle and they got to keep an eye on him if, if they think that there might be a chance that they might pitch it or throw it to him outside, that's one thing. But if that's the formation you're going to run to, even if he's just supposed to try and get in the way of the safety and keep the safety off your running back, there are other receivers that can do that. I don't want my littlest, most electric, most impactful receiver to do those kind of plays. Now, let me play devil's advocate here, and I don't necessarily believe this because, again, I'm on the fence. Like, I understand it's football. I understand that you need to use them, and you got to use them in a variety of different ways because he is so electric. But because he is so electric, do you have to be careful in your usage of him in other ways? And, like, the last two weeks, they weren't using him in the kick game. Maybe even the last three weeks, okay? It's a way to lighten his load a little bit. Uh, the devil's advocate point I'm going to make here is, like, you need your receivers to block in the run game. Sometimes you can see them run, like, a go route, kind of take a corner with them and away from the play, which is kind of what I would suggest. The, the second thing, though, is, like, disguise. And we know how important disguise is for an offensive play caller. We know how important disguise is for a defensive play caller. So if you don't use tank, like, in those ways, then you're not going to be as effective, like, in play actions. Whenever you're faking the handoff, Tank Dell makes a little drag, and then maybe maybe continues the drag. Maybe it's a, it's a uh, maybe it's you show the drag, and then you run, like, like a quick fly pattern, things like that. So there's a lot of counters off of running plays. So if Tank Dell is going to be off the field on all these halfback dives or you're only using them in goes, it does limit your playbook. It limits how you're using Tank Dell in your playbook specifically. But that's what I was saying. If you're going to run that play and, and you are going to say that he needs to be on the field for a play like that, then utilize him to kind of set up the idea of a possibility for play action move him at the last minute. Maybe that does move the safety. That has to move somebody to at least pay attention to him if at the last minute before the snap he goes in motion so there's a chance that he could get the wide pitch or he could get the quick screen out instead of running the football. And then maybe you do the same thing but get it done by using a different formation. So the fact is he doesn't have to be in the middle of the fray of all of those big bodies. He can be doing something to decoy and still bring a safety with him or a defensive back. Because I just think that it's I don't want to take him off the field when there are, you know, traditional sets and, and offenses formations where you need him in a variety of different ways. That's not what I'm saying at all. But I'm saying when specifically that formation tells you it looks like it is going to be a power run up the middle, 
The last thing I need to do is have Tank Dell on the field for that. 713-780-ESPN. Did the Texans' usage of Tank Dell go to extreme measures? Did they use him too much? Did the way they used him make him prone to some of these injuries that he sustained this year? 713-780-3776. It's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5.